You're listening to Reflections on Now, a podcast brought to you by City Church Tulsa, in which Pastor Matt Nelson and artist Cody Jensen look at cultural events and everyday life through the gospel lens of love. For more information on City Church, visit citychurchtulsa.com. In this episode, we're going to be talking about walking away from faith, hypocrisy in the church, and the deconstructing Christian. My name is Cody Jensen, and I am an artist living and working in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and I'm joined by my co-host, pastor of City Church and author of The Beauty of the In-Between, Matthew Nelson. We're both here to talk about faith and a new phenomena in America of the nuns, the duns, the de-churched, the non-religious affiliated people, and the growing of that movement. I think that this is something that we are excited to talk about because I think all of us are always excited to talk about what we are experts in. Yeah, yeah. I think that's why I lean so heavily into this topic is because when it's part of your story and your faith journey and, you know, de-churched and, and walking away. And uh, I grew up in charismatic Pentecostal circles with uh, grandparents who were pastors and it's just generational that you were there, you were at the church four or five times a week. That was your life. And um, I was blessed enough to have more positive experiences than negative, which is is a rare story to have. Um, I saw a lot of leaders who failed and walked away, but also a lot of very genuine people. But, you know, the deconstruction for me came really early because of all the theological imbalances that I had to see. The, the legalism, the rules over relationship, the chasing of experiences more than being spiritually formed, the the entertainment that we have in churches. So mm-hmm. we're going to entertain you. You know, growing up in youth groups and different things, it was all about the the event and not really discipleship to Jesus. Uh, evangelism is bringing people to church. It's not incarnational living. It's not mm. living living it out daily. So there's this, obviously, this de- deconstruction that hap- had to happen. And I, I started really early on that, I think earlier than most. Yeah. And so, you know, even by the time I'm in college, you know, pursuing this, what I may be a, a biblical studies uh, future, I'm already deconstructing what the church that I grew up in, how it had uh, walked away from what Jesus taught. That was my story early on. Thankfully, I had really good people. That was my saving grace. Yeah. Was that people walked with me. They allowed me to ask the hard questions. They allowed me to have doubts. Uh, I could question the church and not be, you know, labeled a heretic and was able to find something more authentic on that journey. I relate to a lot of that story. My family of origin weren't practicing Christians, were more so cultural Christians. And I was sent to church with my grandparents. And I was lucky that my parents did not fall into the category of hypocrites in that they were telling me how to live and then living the opposite. They they were just living and they you know sent me to church with my grandparents because I thought it was a good thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but it wasn't this huge disparity of like, you do not act like what you say you should act like. It was they acted exactly as they talked. And so that gave me a a healthier upbringing in it. But I was sent to church to a very conservative evangelical Assemblies of God environment Mm -hmm. with a lot of fundamental legalism. And whenever I began my deconstruction process early as well, just basically right out of high school, was falling in love with God as a child, as a teen, getting a peek behind the scenes of church culture and realizing that it was nothing like what I believed. Yeah. Nothing. You don't always want to be able to peek behind the curtain. Right. <laughs> and so the peek behind the curtain made me want to walk away. But luckily, I'd already made the decision and the commitment or 
God was leading me, whatever it was, I made it to Tulsa to get away from my hometown, but also to help start City Church and spent eight years here and then moving out of Oklahoma to New York City and to Portland within those experiences, really deconstructing in a healthy manner, standing on a strong foundation of belief in good, in in God, in this true nature and story of God, but really finding freedom through personal struggle, personal exploration, personal, I mean, deconstruction, reconstruction is really the only way to say it. Yeah, that's, you know, there's some people that you experience relationships that failed you, Mm-hmm. And so you can't reconcile your faith and, and, and what you see, and so you walk away. Mine was more of, I just looked at the church and I said, it, it's got to be more than this. It's got to be more than the marketing schemes and the entertainment and the lights and that your worship band did a cover song that we really like. And you know, as I begin to deconstruct, I, I begin to search for something like the simplicity of just broken people coming to the table with bread and wine and saying, man... I'm broken, but this is what makes me whole. And I just wanted to sit in like the ancient songs and the ancient prayers and solitude. And I wasn't chasing some kind of experience. Like I begin to to seek after that. And, and I'm pastoring a church that is like still marketing and still a little bit entertainment based and still all that come. And yet I'm on this personal journey away from that, which is mm-hmm. really weird. Mm-hmm. When you're leading something you that you may not want to attend. Right. And uh and here I was looking for simplicity, authenticity, silence, ancient, traditional things, and yet I grew up in leading a church that wasn't that. I relate to that a, a lot, and my story mirrors that in a lot of ways of whenever I moved to New York City to pursue my art, as I went into that culture, creating all of these things that was also backed by marketing and advertising and the ways of the world that are deemed the American dream of success, I started to realize that all of that was a lie. And I was fell into existential crisis of what all of that meant because that's what I believed my whole life. And through the deconstruction of that, realizing that it mirrored the church. The church was no different than culture at large. That's right. I, I remember sitting in this conference like what every pastor goes to, and it's how do you grow your church to like a thousand people? Because that's how you know that you made it. And I'm sitting there and there's these marketing strategies and tools and all these things that you can build. And I'm just like, I don't think this is what Jesus would be doing. I think all of our roles as spiritual leaders in this room is to try to emulate Christ as closely as we can, not to try to build big buildings and get as many people to come. And like the, the rubric and the scorecard to me was so far off that's when I kind of had this, not crisis of faith, but a crisis of like the church, which leads to other things to saying, is this really what Jesus envisioned? I don't, I don't think so. Like we're peddling things and now we're marketers and we're trying to be CEOs instead of first and foremost being lovers of Jesus and uh, how to really wrestle with that. I mean, what do I lead people into? And so, you know, for several years had to begin to, to change how we did things. So this isn't how Jesus would do things. I think is the taproot of the emotional feeling that our country, our generation, the people who are leaving the church, I personally think that that is ultimately what they are feeling, but they don't have the language to put to it. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's why we're here and we have this large group of people. So this group that we call the the nuns, N-O-N-E-S, if you're not familiar with that, people who now have no religious affiliation, it is the largest religious group in America. 
past the evangelicals and the Catholics, mm-hmm. and that was just happened over the last two years, which is pretty phenomenal. That, I think that's why they're saying, like, I mean, I'm just on this deconstruction and I'm going to find my own way, or I'm agnostic, atheist, deist, I'm, I'm spiritual but not religious. Um, I don't want to associate with labels, Christianity, evangelical, denominations, organized religion. It's because now they've looked and they're like, I just can't align myself with something that seems so far removed from the actual life of Jesus mm-hmm. and the definition of love. And I, I'm with you on that. And, and I get that. I think what I'm passionate about doing is helping build this foundation and base that says, well, you're first and foremost not a label. Let's go back and just the simplicity of what did, how did Jesus live and what did he do? And then let's just build it from that. Like the heck with labels. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't care. Like the church always is going to be in a need of reform. 500 years ago, thank God for Luther that, that he had you know, what it took to stand up and say, no, this is not the way we can do better. And I think we're in a similar reform right now mm-hmm. that we've looked and said, man, there are some people that have taken this understanding of Christianity and that gospel, and I mean, they have, they've, they've sold out. Yeah. And so there's got to be this reform that, that takes place. So why are the, the de-churched considered a religious group? Yeah, I, I think it's what they're saying is like whenever they go to check the box now, when they're asked the question, what is your religious affiliation? They are checking the box, none. I don't, I don't have a religious affiliation. I'm, I'm on my own spiritual journey. And so, you know, I'm going to take the teachings of Jesus and I'm going to take the teachings of, of Buddha and I'm going to take mysticism and contemplation and all these things. And I'm going to create my own pathway because I can't put myself in your box. Your box is you know, it, it's incomplete or it's, 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 it's false in a lot of ways or hypocritical. And so I'm going to create my own box, right? That's kind of the natural response. I'm going I'm to create my own. And that's, that's the spirit of our age and culture of any way that says, you know, what I really need is it within me already. And as long as I mine that out and find it, I'll find life. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of the spirit of our culture. So that gives me a question of, is that not what we believe as Christians as well? That Christ is inside of us, Christ is our center, and it is our job not to search and find externally and put Christ into us, but to search internally and, and bring Christ out of us. Yeah, I think the gospel, first and foremost, gives us our identity, which is not always uh, congruent with our desires. Right. Right. And that, that's the main issue that we have, is we think that if I follow my desire, that ultimately it leads me to freedom in life. Mm-hmm. Well, we're made in the Imago Dei, the image of God by our creator. And so ultimately, truth comes into who God says that we are. And so we have to mine that out mm-hmm. and, and follow that. And that's totally incongruent with what our culture says. Right. And that's, that's going to be a difficult thing for a lot of people to do, because what happens when who God says you are now is, is contradicted by what you feel mm-hmm. or, or, or what, what you think that you are? Would you say that we are mirroring what the UK, we talked about um, in the last 10 years, you know, that they are post-Christian? Would you say that this now points to that America is post-Christian? Uh, absolutely. I mean, America is always going to be about 10 years behind what you see in, in, in Europe, mm-hmm. in, in those countries, and they are post-Christian. Um, but seeing God move in new ways, in, in reawakenings, in, 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 in new ways that um, didn't happen beforehand. You're seeing churches close years ago, but now there's a, a renewal happening almost underneath the surface. It's almost like an underground renewal of God's people beginning to to form and live our incarnational in community in their networks and relationships instead of going to a building and sitting in a worship service. Which, to me personally, 
points to the evidence of God because they left the church because that institution wasn't leading them to that intersanctuary of the soul. They left and searched elsewhere, and God was there talking, and they were there to listen finally. Yeah. And a new movement began. Absolutely. Yeah, it's so funny because I think we, we assume that we can leave the church. Well, if you're a follower of Jesus, the church is you. It's wherever you go. It's wherever you gather, mm-hmm. right? So the church is going to be reformed. It's going to be renewed and remade in several different ways. I mean, you're either going to be part of the solution or problem because you can't leave the church if you're a follower of Christ. But what you can see happen is that God is doing new things. And so he's going to lead you to maybe leave this type of model or this understanding of the church and and develop something fresh and new that God's doing. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what's beautiful about it is you're, you're beginning to see that unfold in a lot of ways. Yeah. So I think there's probably two major camps of people, people in the church who they basically think that the non-religious affiliated people who are leaving the church, they're failing the church. And those in that group turn their backs and say, well, the church failed me. Mm-hmm. In your take, who failed who? Yes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I mean... Yeah, and, and there's a lot of finger pointing. And you know, here's here's the difficulty in this. In order to bring change and transformation, it starts with us. It starts with inward reflection and contemplating our own lives. And if we can't do that, we're never going to be a part of the solution. We'll only stand on the outside and look in and point at the problem. Mm-hmm. And so I think we look inside and say, you know, who, who has failed? And, and I think the answer is yes. I think we have to own our piece of it. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, me and you, may, we may see this a little bit differently. Right. Um, has the church failed in, in a lot of ways? Absolutely. Yeah, we've peddled Jesus at times. And we have these marketing schemes and light shows and entertainment base. And then we ask you to sit, come and sacrifice your life and, and give your, your life and discipleship to Jesus. Now, wait, wait a minute. Which one are you asking me to do? Are you asking me to come and be entertained or are you asking me to give my life away? Right. Because those, those are not consistent. And then at the same time, I think a lot of people walking away from the church have been unprepared. Uh, this is what I always tell people. You're going to struggle. We got to learn how to struggle well. Like the faith in church is a struggle. It is messy. Like you are going to walk through difficulty. People are going to offend you. There's going to be hypocrites. There's going to be legalism. There's going to be all of these things that you're going to be able to walk away from. You got to be prepared for the struggle. And, we, and so many people haven't built that foundation, mm-hmm. as like, like you talked about. I agree that it is a both and. I think it is important for us as the church, as those of us who have this calling to stay and make change. But I do think we have a responsibility to acknowledge the mistakes Mm -hmm. that have been made and are continuing to be made because there are so many in the church who want to keep the status quo that we have to call it out. And I think part of it is that the church has focused almost entirely on orthodoxy and little on orthopraxis. Or I guess in other words, we spend too much time trying to get people to heaven later and no time teaching how to live in the kingdom now. I think this leads a lot of people who believe the quote-unquote right things but act in greedy and selfish ways and justify those actions because they believe the right thing, so they must be doing the right thing. And a lot of those actions are so obviously wrong that they actively hurt people in and out of the church. And for people who don't have the cognitive dissonance required to ignore these things, it becomes impossible to continue supporting the church. So in my opinion, I think that the church is mostly to blame. Yeah. So when we say the church, obviously we're talking so broad 
that some have really kept the way mm-hmm. and some have not. Mm-hmm. What you're just describing right now is one of the huge, I think over the last century, ways that the church has divulged from the truth of Scripture. So salvation is not our, our, our get-out-of-hell-free card, that we pray a prayer, we say the words, and now we get to go to a better place. Mm-hmm. The reality of Scripture is that God asks us to bring his kingdom here now, not because the world is going to go up in a ball of flame, is that he's going to make it and renew it, and there's going to be a new heaven, a new earth. What does new earth mean? Like, this is going to be our home, but in a much better way, restored and renewed, right? So these are the same people that are like, well, creation doesn't matter, so like, it's all going to be burnt. No, you haven't read your scripture. Mm-hmm. God renews it, so you take care of it. You steward it now. Like, if you don't care about what's happening in the earth, then I don't think you understand the biblical mandate. Right, so that we we've kind of in this fundamentalism, we got to the place where we wanted to system systematize it, mm-hmm. and we're gonna oh just say the prayer, repeat after me, you're good. How far from the heart of God is that understanding? So far. Mm-hmm. So the people leaving may have not done the work necessary. So it's not necessary. It's not saying that we need to coddle them and bring them back and say, oh, I'm so sorry, and pat you on the back. Like it it is a both and fault. But I, I just, I think it ultimately comes down to the system of which got them there in the first place. And I believe that the church failed them because it's the church's job to shepherd. You don't blame the wandering lamb for wandering, especially when the wandering lamb wasn't wandering at all, but, you know, outgrew the shepherd's leading and found a greener pasture and clearer waters than the shepherd was offering. I mean, that's the nature of homo sapiens. We are willing to sacrifice if the story of why we are sacrificing is good enough. But if we catch wind that the story is actually a lie to keep us on the path to slaughter or a path that exploits us to benefit a few at the top and only perceived benefits for the rest of us, we're not going to stick around. And I think that's fair. I think that's a valid statement. You know, again, I I can't put the blame 100% in either camp, but I think that you have this spirit of the age of our culture. And I think the church has played into that at times. They've taken that and said, oh, we're going we're gonna to take that and we're going to bring you to our church using those same marketing schemes and tactics. And then we're going to read to you the life of Jesus, which is come die to yourself, take up your cross and follow me. Right. And that doesn't work. It just doesn't work, mm-hmm. you know? And so I, I think that's where we have failed at times. It's when we don't speak up and we don't call people to a level of discipleship, then we get into a place like we're in right now politically where Christians are saying and doing things that look nothing like Jesus. And the church doesn't want to offend people. We don't know if that really is a Jesus thing or not. No, read the Sermon on the Mount, read the Beatitudes, and then go and look at what people say and do. Mm-hmm. And tell me if it's not completely contrary. Right. Th- those are the things that people who are, who are de-churched and walking away are looking and saying, how can you justify that? Well, we've become so culturally minded that now we can't even call people to discipleship to Jesus. And right. that's where we ha- I think we have failed right. in a lot of ways. The hypocrisy is at a level right now that there's a whole generation that are saying, I, I just cannot even be on the same train as you. I mean, exactly. Hypocrisy has infected the Western church, not only in many spiritual ways, which, I mean, are harder to see, but in America, it has also turned political. 
Too many pastors, churches, and self-proclaimed Christians have aligned themselves so closely to a political agenda that it becomes obvious that these people using Jesus' name are just born-again Republicans who have more faith and obligation to a nationalistic agenda than a kingdom agenda. Yeah, that, that's, that goes back to why, as kingdom people, you can't fit within a political party. Mm -hmm. And if you try, then you, you, you totally lose the power of the gospel. The gospel falls apart underneath your political stance. You know, for right wing right now, it is like you are neglecting the gospel and God's call to the oppressed, uh, the poor, uh, the marginalized, and and laying down your rights because you are so right wing. And then on the on the left wing side of things, it's you know we're going to do these things, but you do them out of your hurt and your pain and with wrong motives, mm -hmm. not out of love. It's not transformed life. And so I mean, we can pick apart both sides, but ultimately. We are a different entity. Right. And on the left, it's sometimes a just very perverted definition of love. Absolutely. It's love as I see it. Yeah. As long as you fall in line with what I believe, mm -hmm. which is not love. Right. On the hypocrisy side, I do think that there is a distinction that needs to be made. And since we're talking about kind of left and right, it does fall into kind of how you view the world of what you are calling hypocrisy. Because as our cultural evolution has ramped into warp speed people are changing their opinions faster than we can forget the old ones and this has resulted in us labeling personal growth and change as hypocrisy using evidence of past opinions against us and i mean if that's the case i'd rather be a hypocrite than stay the same person forever but the true definition of hypocrisy is claiming to have moral standards and holding others to those standards but one's own behavior does not conform to those standards. Yeah, yeah. That's it's hypocrisy is, is duplicity. It's that you can you can put on different masks simultaneously and and hide behind them. It's not growth. Growth is a part of life, which means I can change what I believe, and I can, yeah, what, what you're talking about, which is a natural part uh, of living. You go and ask me five or six years ago what I believed about certain issues theologically. I've grown in those, and some of them would seemingly contradict mm -hmm, what I right. said then. And, but yeah, you know, I, I say this, you know, a, a hypocrite puts on a mask, plays several roles. Uh, a sinner saved by grace as a Christian, you, you peel off your mask. You're striving to, to meld these people together into mm -hmm. one. And I think there's a huge difference. Mm -hmm. And I think we can, we can see when someone's genuinely trying to be one, a whole person, and someone is like, you're playing the game. Right. Like you claim to be this, and yet nothing in your life reflects it. Yeah, I do think that breaking it down into sinner versus hypocrite is perfect because we are all sinners and those who don't admit that or accept that are the hypocrites. Yeah, the number one most quoted scripture in the world used to be John 3.16. Now it's not. It's Matthew 7. Do not judge lest you be judged. Mm -hmm. That's what people quote now because they feel judged by Christians. Mm -hmm. But that whole passage, it, it presupposes that you have a splinter in your eye, right? But what it says is don't like, don't pull out the splinter in your brother's eye. You got a, you got a log. You got a plank in yours. Mm -hmm. That's what we're talking about. The people who who want to project on social media towards people, and yet in their private life and their personal world, please don't look. Right. Please don't peek behind the curtain of my life. But I want to tell you how you should live, what you should do. You know, that's what we see happening right now. Right. That's that's and that's the definition of you know what being blind to your own life mm -hmm. while wanting to correct you know everybody around right. you. A perfect example of hypocrisy would be the church's hardline stance on traditional family values and yet has the identical divorce rate as the world. Yep. 
it just you can't reconcile those like yep. two things. And our divorce rate is not identical; it's slightly better. So just <laughs> slightly, <laughs> give us a little bit of credit. Slightly, <laughs> slightly better, and that's because there are some women that are afraid to leave because of the guilt and the shame of the church. But I'll leave that for uh, another podcast. Uh, so in, in this environment with, with so much hypocrisy in the church and yet so much truth in life in the message of Jesus, we can't just abandon the church for something else. So how do we struggle through this and come out the other side? Yeah, Think about reading the Gospels and how much Jesus addressed hypocrisy. One of the number one topics, because even the Christian faith in the first century, it's it is gaining roots and growing in the midst of hypocrisy. Your faith is going to be lived out with hypocrisy all around you. You're going to struggle with hypocrisy. Like we always say at City Church, we're recovering hypocrites, all of us. It's whether you can recognize it or not. You know, some of us have this mentality of, like, oh, if I see fake or if I see this discrepancy, then I've got to walk away. Well, you've got to learn how to struggle well, because I think you find Jesus in the midst of that messiness. In fact, I think scripturally, as people begin to walk away and they begin to search for Jesus in, in really messy ways is when they found him. And I don't think we talk about that enough. On the road to Emmaus, two men are walking away from Jerusalem. They're walking away from faith, from Jesus, from this disappointment that Jesus just died and we thought he was the Messiah. And guess what? Jesus shows up and walks with them away from faith. Think about that. We, didn't, we just don't talk about that because in the midst of that, you can find something real, but it's messy and it takes work and we have to struggle well. And I don't think as, as Americans, we don't struggle well. Mm-hmm. I mean, in fact, this pandemic has shown how, right. how horribly we struggle well. Right. We don't know how to lament. We don't know how to lean into the doubt. We don't know how to work through discrepancies. Um, no, we, we want to abandon it mm-hmm. or say, you know what? I'm going to throw the baby out with the bathwater because you're this way. All people are this way because that leader fell, fell or that church handled it that way. All churches handle it that way. Right. Because we're like, we're certainty addicts. Absolutely. And the pandemic revealed that nothing is certain. No. No. And, and what, what does it mean for us, again, to, to struggle well? It, it means that you, you live with the reality that you're going to struggle, others are going to struggle, and in the midst of that, you can actually find a more authentic way forward. Yeah. It's possible. And it's actually something that is not more shallow, it's, it's, it's more depth. Mm-hmm. Because now it's been tested. It's been tried. Like the storms of life have come and you realize, okay, Jesus said this. Is it built on sand or rock? Well, there's only one way to find out. Mm-hmm. The storms are going to come for, for everybody. You're going to figure out what you're built upon. Right. And that's my heart for this is, is especially the, the duns right now. I think, you know what? Man, there's, there is a better way forward. And that's my story. Right. That's my story is that I did find a better way and I was able Same. to navigate that. Mm-hmm. I will say, um, how do you find a better way? There's a word that I never used for the first uh, 30 years of my Christian life, but now has come to define maybe the last six or seven years, and it's the word mystery. Hmm. And it's all throughout Scripture. And I didn't leave room in my Christian faith for mystery. I wanted certitudes. Mm -hmm. I wanted theology. I wanted facts. And yet I think the only way forward is to leave room for mystery, for God to wow you. Right. And to leave room for questions that says, you know what, I'm going to lean into this, which I think is what the psalmist did. Mm -hmm. I think the psalmist, man, they knew how to lament because I don't know the answer to this and I don't know why, but I'm just going to go ahead and lean into it. And I'm going to tell you 
great things were happening and yet I'm struggling. And yet in the midst of that, read the rest of the psalm. They were able to discover a depth in that that most people don't. Mystery. Right. Uh, and I love that. And it, it comes now like, I don't, I don't need to know because I, I do trust you. And they may walk away and fall away, but it doesn't mean I am. Right. And I think the mystery part you only find in personal relationship. I think all of the theological pursuits, um, all of the understanding, all of the questions answered don't bring you to that place. Mm-hmm. I think there's a part of the Christian faith that just requires surrender, and it requires throwing up your hands and saying, if I don't ever understand, you know how to lean into the mystery of who God is, and that God actually reveals himself in the midst of that is, uh, is something that took me a long time to discover. Yeah. I think that the accepting the mystery of the universe, even if you were to leave the church, you're still going to search for certitudes and search in, in science and not be able to reconcile the mystery of your personal existence with all of the facts, because all of the facts are trying to figure out the mystery and we haven't figured it out yet Mm -hmm. because the limits of knowledge do not stop at the limits of human understanding. So there will always be a mystery no matter what. And until we understand that there is a spiritual, mystical mystery of the universe, we can't truly move past our own selfish and greedy desires and surrender to all that is good. And I don't even think that has to be labeled as Christian or God or Jesus. I think that that has been found true by the philosophers, the poets, and the saints of the ages. But I think ultimately that mystery of the universe that is the inner leading of the soul that, that we is unexplainable and will never be able to be explained. And if it was, then that means that we're God. Yeah, and honestly, it's, it's modern thought over the last few centuries. And we're moving into postmodern modernism, but modernism would tell us that it, it is more about the certitudes. It's more about these platitudes, these statements, these beliefs. That's where fundamentalism has come from, is this basic belief is that there's a set way of doing things. And yet you actually see Scripture being revealed mostly in a postmodern world where ideas were explored. That makes a lot of conservatives extremely nervous today Mm -hmm. because we need to know truth. We need to stand on it. Well, there is truth that God reveals, but there's a lot of mystery. Right. There's a lot of discovering and leaning in, and God takes you on this journey. And, you know, I, I tell people, I kind of use this analogy of every day as a follower of Jesus, you're going to put on glasses and those glasses are going to determine what lens you, you see the world through. If you are looking for hypocrisy and brokenness and you, you want to see it, it's everywhere mm-hmm. and it can destroy you where you can put on the lens and see the mystery of God all around. You can actually see God's grace in people. You can see the beauty in life and in movement. And it's really up to you. You've got to figure out how you want to see the world. And if you want to focus in and zoom in on every hypocrite or every person who says something and doesn't live it, guess what? Your soul will be absolutely destroyed. And you have no choice but to walk away from your faith because it's, it's really no faith. Mm-hmm. But I've learned to say, you know what? And there's going to be a lot of people that walk that way, but I'm, I, I'm going to choose the beauty of the world around me, of the people in my life, of what God is doing in a way that I may not even understand or see. And uh, I just find it's a better way to live. Yeah. You know? Even if, if you're not even a Jesus follower, it's just a better way to live. Right, exactly. Yeah. And I, I think that that is what the church should teach, but we're so stuck on these 
stories that have been passed down through our generations of about what the Bible is and who God is that aren't actually based in any sort of truth other than our collective imagination. And those of us who, if you read the the saints and the mystics of the ages, they found something deeper. And you can read it and not even understand because you don't even have a concept of what it is to be in that space. And it becomes easy to dismiss because it's not an easy story, which makes me wonder in this, in people leaving the church and having to go through struggle to find that, do you think that maybe part of it is we have to walk away to find the beauty of the in-between? Yeah. Do you have to abandon your faith? No. Mm -hmm. I think walking away is a sort of deconstruction Mm -hmm. and you can't stay there and and you have to reconstruct something more authentic. But I think that's part of it. And I, I think in the walking away is honestly where a lot of time God finds you. Like Peter right. denies Jesus three times. He is broken to the point of despair, of, of probably suicidal, of I'm never getting back to that point. And in the walking away, Jesus actually brings him back and, and Peter's about to start his best work. And the road to Emmaus, they're walking away and Jesus shows up and he breaks bread with them and their eyes are opened. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in, you look in Scripture, it's in the walking away that you find, you yeah. find God. And we're so, we're so fearful of that in the Christian faith because we want everything to be ordered. Like, you know, take a 16-year-old kid right now, you're like, do I want to teach you a Scripture and you memorize that Scripture, or do I want to lead you on a discovery? Well, if I lead you on a discovery of your faith, you may come to any conclusion. That's too scary. Mm-hmm. Do we not trust that God, like, writes his story in our journey? I'd rather lead that 16-year-old on, on a journey because if I just tell them to memorize that scripture, that's not doing anything. They may have it in their head, but it doesn't make it to their heart. And I, I do think on the walking away is where God shows up. Yeah. And he reveals himself. And he speaks and he moves and he draws for those who, who, who want that, mm-hmm. who desire that. Yeah. I think one thing that I want to make sure to say is speaking to the nuns and the duns of what I have found through my journey in what can be missing in that, in that we have to separate what we desire and what we want. And because I want to be a loving and kind person, but I don't necessarily desire to be that. I desire what is best for me. But I have learned that those desires are not actually what's best for me, even though my actions are looked at externally as success and even people tell like see it as the american dream see that oh you're doing what's right let me praise you for that and that external praise and cultural acceptance can make me feel as though i've figured out the truth and follow that and i may unknowingly cut off my soul from myself or what you mentioned earlier you cut off your heart from your head and i lived a faith for almost my entire life that was entirely in my head not connected to my heart at all And I had a divine encounter with God where my heart was connected with my head and everything became real and visceral to be known by the known. But if we are living in that head faith with no connection to the heart, it it can lead to destruction because the self has an insatiable desire for more. But my soul requires less, much less. I think we can get caught between our culture and the system, a culture that doesn't teach 
or demonstrate the fruits of ridding yourself of self. And the system tells you that that's an oppressive fool's errand to begin with. If we leave the church because of hypocrisy, we can easily become hypocrites ourselves, walking along those we despise on the wide path to nowhere. That's, yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah, that, that in itself, that discovery, is that if you go on this journey of self and discovering life through self, it's, it's never ending and it's never enough because the soul's always going to be wanting more than what it's experiencing. And I think that's the, one of the heartbeats of the Christian faith is that you find this level of contentment, because again, it's not based on exactly what's happening here and now. It's, it's the hope of what God is doing and what God will do that actually roots you into this place where you get a taste of what it, what it means to be home. And when I mean home, like the place that your soul is at rest. And I think that's only found through a relationship with Jesus. Yeah, I, we did this something this, um, this Sunday. We do prayers for the world, um, sometimes ancient prayers from the common book and prayer, sometimes uh, prayers that we write ourselves, and, and we wrote a prayer. And, and I'd love to end, end that way if we can. And this is just going to take about two minutes, and I'd, I'd love for you to, to be a part of this with us, where I'm just going to pray this prayer over us. And I, I, I labeled it a prayer for recovering hypocrites because that covers all of us. And it's a prayer for recovering hypocrites because we live in a world of, again, competing stories, of, of false and, and true and duplicity and genuine, and we have to first look inward. And if we don't look inward, we can never live a transformational lifestyle. And that's what this prayer is about. It's asking for help, honestly. So what I want us to do is, is again, just quiet your heart. Um, wherever you may be listening to this, and, and allow these words uh, to kind of wash over your soul to help us be who God has called us to be. Prayer for Recovering Hypocrites Father, I'm sorry for all the times I claimed to be a follower of Jesus, and yet my life failed to reflect your heart. I'm sorry for being quick to judge others and slow to see my own sin. I'm sorry for picking the speck out of my neighbor's eye while being oblivious to the log in my own. I ask you to give me the humility to see, to own, to be aware of every place in me that is not fully surrendered to you. By your spirit, help me to fully align my faith and my life. Help me to overcome the pain and wounds that have been inflicted on me by others. Today, I put my hope, my faith, and my life in you, not another person, leader, or church. Father, help me to struggle well in this life and to find a deeper place in you in the midst of this very messy journey.